Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument is the name of the program. My name is Walter Hudson. Streaming, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. We are joined in studio tonight by John Howe, who has the Republican endorsement to seek the office of Secretary of State here in Minnesota. And we are live streaming on Facebook. You can check that out by doing a search for Closing Argument with Walter Hudson right there in the Facebook search engine. And our page will pop up there for you. Like the page. Set yourself to be notified when we post things, when we go live. And then you won't miss things like this. And, you know, life will be better for you. You'll just be more enriched. It'll, it'll be fantastic. It'll be a value added, as they say in the marketing world. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Omland taking those calls and producing the show. Welcome to the program, John Howe. Walter, thank you for having me. The, this is the second or third time that we've run into each other. And it does feel like we're running into each other, like we just kind of found each other in the lobby, and now we're going to have a casual conversation about how things have been going. But it just so happens to be in the context where you're running for a statewide office. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see you again. So what what have you been up to lately? It's my understanding you've been on the run not only today, but for the past few. Absolutely. You know, there's only 35 days left, and uh, we uh, have to win the Secretary of State's race. It's a very important race, and we've been going all over. We've been to Duluth, down to New Ulm, over to Chicago County, up to Fergus Falls, and then we did uh, some TV in Fargo and radio in Grand Forks. So, Putting a lot of miles on. A lot of miles. And today we had a, uh, a charity function, a uh, pheasant hunt uh, charity auction uh, at, uh, in St. Cloud. And so that's why I'm dressed the way I am today. Fantastic. And you can see how he's dressed today. He's dressed for a pheasant hunt. You can see that on the live stream. So before we get into talking about you and your background and your qualifications and what it is that you want to do with this office, let's talk about the office itself. Because in the midst of what is unquestionably a historic election, just in the sense of we've got you know both Senate seats open, yeah on the ballot right now uh, we've got a, a midterm election unlike any in my memory in terms of the intensity and what seems to be at stake we've got the governor's race up for grabs there's a lot of things vying for people's attention and then you bring up something like secretary of state and people might be inclined to say huh what right why should i care so what? tell us why we should care well, and you also have the the balance of the Minnesota Senate majority in the in the uh, in the mix too. So there are Walter a lot of things going on, but the Secretary of State is such an important office. You know, everybody just sees it as the head election official, which is very very important. But the Secretary of State also issues all the business licenses, the LLCs, the partnerships and serves on the investment board also serves on the executive board on you know whether to vote to authorize exploratory mining in northern minnesota so it's a very very important office and we have such a history of close elections in minnesota and that's why it matters and i just i don't believe uh the secretary of state's office should be used for partisan political advantage 
And unfortunately, when one party controls an office for so long, um, like example, the, the attorney general's office, they become weaponized. They become tools to be used for one party or the other. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I think uh, the Democratic control of the AG's office for 48 years, right. the Secretary of State's office for over a decade. And so there's a lot of things that we can do, and, and we'll get into talking some other things, uh, how we can improve the system, some of the flaws that we have right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a recurring theme. You know, we've had uh, the the candidates for attorney general and, and also for state auditor yeah. on the program. And and those those three officers, you know, statewide constitutional officers, they're referred to um, in, in terms of, you know, being being mandated by the Constitution, being on the ballot statewide, right along with the governor of the statewide ticket. They They get less attention because they're a little bit more wonky. But they're extraordinarily important for the reasons that you outlined. The fact that, particularly in this state, they've they've largely been controlled by the DFL, by the Democrats, for such a long time to the point where they've gotten, and this is me saying it, not John Howe, but they've kind of gotten a little bit cocky in terms of their assurance that this is something they're going to be able to hold on to. And as a result, they make use of it not for its intended constitutional purpose, but as a launching pad for future gubernatorial campaigns. It's like their gubernatorial exactly. farm team. And also as a, a tactical staging point from which to launch political attacks, both within the state and also nationally as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I, I think that's why, uh, you know, and the other, the other thing, Walter, is what happens with, in Minnesota, particularly in Minnesota, is the governor's race and the constitutional office are always on the midterm. They're never aligned with a presidential election. And so you may say that, you know, most of Minnesota, the majority of Minnesota geographically is conservative, but it's very hard to overcome yeah. the Minneapolis, St. Paul. Right. You got those two blue eyes looking at you, and then and then now now you got a little blue eye, uh, maybe in St. Cloud, and right. maybe one down in Rochester, and and so these population density centers, it's very hard to overcome, and that's why you have to be out there. You know, you have to go around uh, to the whole state. We've been going all over the state, but you also have to go in to the cities too. And I'm proud of being seen at the urban league picnic, uh, the battle of the badges. And, and it's important to be in here. And, you know, I, I run into some of my uh, former uh, democratic colleagues there and they say, how, what are you doing in here? And I right. said, well, this is two for one country for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's very encouraging to hear that and to hear that that's uh, something that you've incorporated into your campaign, reaching into the cities yeah. to, to actually try to forge relationships, because that's the first step. The only way we're ever going to change hearts and minds, you know, it's not going to be, I, I hate to undercut my own yeah. program here, but it's not going to be through talk radio. It's not no. going to be through television ads. It's not going to be through these this programming. It's going to be from looking people in the eye, listening to their stories, and sympathizing with their problems, and then it, when it, when the time is right, when it makes sense, explaining how our principles and values actually apply to the things that are going on in their lives. That's a great point. Absolutely. So having established what the Secretary of State does and the importance of it and why it is that we should should be paying attention to it uh, in spite of all the other fireworks that are taking place in this midterm election, 
What brings you, John Howe, to the table? You've already kind of hinted at your background in terms of running into former colleagues yeah. and, and being mindful of the Senate majority. Those are things that uh, a person of a certain background tends to think of that, that perhaps Brad and I might not. So who is John Howe and where are you coming from? Well, I grew up uh, on a, um, a farm in western Minnesota, a little town called Chicago. Every If you looked at it, you'd say Chokio. It's C-H-O-K-I-O. And uh, Walter, we all have humble beginnings. Sure. Some of us more humble than the other. But uh, I grew up on a farm without running water. And I always say my mom's my hero because, uh, uh, you know, she's 85. She still lives, she lives on the farm by herself. Uh, um, dad passed away about seven years ago, uh, but they were married 61 years. And when dad put running water into the barn, she made him put it into the house. <laughs> 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 and so uh, I went to school at St. Cloud State for criminal justice, worked as a prison guard, uh, a correctional officer at St. Cloud uh, Prison, mm-hmm. and then went traveling with Sears. I ended up um, becoming a caseworker down at the Red Wing Juvenile Correctional Facility. Okay. And so I, uh, you know, it was a great experience. And then I ended up opening up a small chain of Sears stores, dealer stores, uh, very, uh, did very, very well with them. And then this little online company came along. I think they start with the letter A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but it was a good run. And sure. I ended up becoming mayor of Red Wing. And I loved that job. I loved being mayor of Red Wing. And, and that led to me becoming a Minnesota state senator and representative area. I like to tell people I'm, uh, you know, former mayor of Red Wing, former state senator. I'm the guy that passed that yellow flashing arrow law. So you can take a left-hand turn at a stoplight. You don't need to wait for the whole thing to cycle. Ah, okay. Yeah. So if you're listening, you can say, hey, I now know who passed that yellow flashing arrow law. And when they say who, say not who, it's how. He's running for Secretary of there State. There you go. There you go. That's my little tagline there. Yeah. Has, has nothing to do with the Secretary of State's office, but has everything to do with common sense. Sure. And that's what we need in government is common sense. Yeah, I've driven through Red Wing a number of times, have never had much of occasion to, to stop Oh, you I must. feel like I should. I mean, next time, time you're there, through, give me a call. There's some hidden gems there. Sure, I there's, bet. Yeah, there's a guy that uh, makes harps, beautiful harps, sends them all over the world. Unbelievable. Sounds yeah. good. So from there, you you went on to develop your qualifications for this position yeah. further. Well, uh, you know, I think one of the things that sets me aside from my opponent and Walter, I've only made one campaign promise, and that's not to mention my opponent by name. You know, I'll talk about my opponent. I'll talk about the current Secretary of State, but I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, I really do want to talk about what we can do. Um, yeah, there's some things that uh, he's failed to do, and we can discuss them. But, uh, you know, too much in, in politics gets to be the, the, the very negative, uh, nasty side of campaigning, and I think it turns a lot of people off. Sure. So... Th- there is uh, there are a number of issues that are particular to or f- at least fall within the domain of the Secretary yep. of State, which I know you have a particular interest in. One thing that may be under the radar of some listeners, if not most listeners, is the notion that we are actually in the midst of transitioning to a presidential primary. That's, yep, that's absolutely. But, but, but Walter, uh, I want to talk uh, uh, about that and share, uh, educate, or, and visit with you about that. Before we get there, uh, real quick, I want to. I just want to uh, uh, let your listeners know why I have a passion for yeah, running absolutely. for it. Absolutely. Let's and, see that. Uh, well, <clears throat> when I was a state senator in 2012, I ran for re-election. And 13 DFL senators violated what's called the campaign coordination law. That's where you can't have coordination between a campaign and an independent expenditure. 
Um, my opponent was the number one violator of that law, but 11 of those violators became sitting Minnesota senators. Interesting. And that switched the majority in the Minnesota Senate. All the DFL had to do was they paid a $100,000 settlement to the campaign finance board, and those senators got to keep their seats. And I don't think you should be able to cheat and keep your seat. That is a fine uh, motivation for, for running for Secretary of State. Yeah, and before you would think that even paying a $100,000 settlement would be a deterrent. My opponent, before his next reelection, was fined several th- thousands of dollars again for violating campaign finance laws, for taking too much special interest money. Yeah. Now, it, you know, the Secretary of State just doesn't get to mag- make, wave a magic wand. That's why it's very right. important to have a good attorney general's office and sure. you but you as a secretary of state you have to lean in on issues you have to be able to go over to the legislative body and say hey we need to fix this because right now minnesota just lacks any teeth in their campaign finance law it's pretty much on your honor system and when they do catch somebody or when somebody reports somebody it's a civil penalty mm. and that doesn't get to the crux of the problem when someone's violating the law yeah, it's it's always seemed to me, and you know, again, these are these are my thoughts, but it's always seemed to me as though campaign finance is really set up as, to provide kind of a chilling effect for people who don't know what they're doing and right. and kind of want to give up before they even try, right? Lest they get into trouble. And, but it's also has these kind of built-in loopholes for the people who do know right. where all the bodies are buried and right. to be able to navigate those waters successfully and get off if if they do happen to get caught get off with you know just Scott, a fine just it's a just fine, fine. it's yeah. you know uh, maybe a little public embarrassment that it gets in the paper uh, but uh, that that's that's a, a big motivation for me that we we need to fix that and, and several things in our our campaign or several things in our election system we need to to. Uh, to uh, change, uh, you mentioned the, the presidential primary, and um, well, before we get into yeah. that, and before we break yeah. down some of these issues more, we do have to cut to a break. sure, we'll absolutely. Break. We'll come back with John Howe running for Secretary of State. You can learn more about his campaign at howforsos.com. That's H O W E F O R S O S dot com. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM eleven thirty one zero three five FM. Twin Cities News Talk dot com. Chatting in studio with John Howe, Republican-endorsed candidate for Secretary of State in office that, you know, may not sound exciting, but it sure is important, and we're going over why here on Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Let's go to Ted in Minneapolis. You're on with John Howe. Hi, John, and hi, Walter. Hi. Um, yeah, I just wanted to get John's uh, opinion on what uh, Mark Ritchie's conduct was during the uh, recount of Al Franken and Norm Coleman. I thought he was uh, extremely partisan. He uh, he swayed the, uh, I think he swayed the election by uh, permitting rules that shouldn't have been permitted, and the recount was just a big sham. Hey, Ted, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things wrong with that. We, you know, we went to bed that night with uh, Norm Cullen winning the election, and we woke up with Al Franken winning by 312 votes. You know, the real tragedy in that was that several thousands of military votes did not count that 
that election cycle. And that was because they came in late. Under Minnesota law, your absentee ballots have to arrive by election day or they're not counted. And uh, and certainly uh, the Secretary of State could have went to the Minnesota Supreme Court and got those votes counted. And that's, uh, of course, the reason you didn't want to do that in that situation. Right. Because says it would have helped out the other side. And, right. you know, I mentioned that earlier that we have a history of very, very close elections. Can you imagine, you know, over a million votes on each side and the elections are decided by 312 votes? Right, yeah. And, and so I, I think we need to change that so when your ballot is postmarked, that's that's the date because you can't rely on somebody else to get your ballot. It's like saying, "Hey, here's you know, pay my bill. Here's some money and right. and go do it." You, you can't rely on that. You have to have, "Hey, here's my postmark or, or get a proof of mailing." And so, when I become the Secretary of State, I can assure you, our our son is a cadet at the Air Force Academy out in Colorado Springs. The men and women that are serving our nation, that are serving our country, especially in in uh, in harm's way overseas, right. their votes need to count. Well, can we just pause to reflect upon how disingenuous the Democrats' concern over disenfranchisement is when that's the type of thing that they're engaged in? When they, when they, they, they through omission of action, they're effectively denying right. the rights of the of people who are stepping up to serve us, who are right. putting themselves in harm's way. They're denying them the franchise while at the same time pretending to care about you know, people in far flung corners who apparently can't figure out how to get an ID. Right. Absolutely. All Thanks right, so for the question. Let's let's talk about the this uh, lawsuit and continuing drama involving the Minnesota Voters Alliance, an organization that's near and dear to my heart that I've had a lot of dealings with sure. over the years. Um, they have been, you know, as the name implies, involved in election issues. Sure. And they've been focused on, particularly since the, that election um, that was just referenced by the caller by Ted have been focused on voter fraud and trying to track down evidence of voter fraud. Because one of these arguments, one of the arguments that we constantly hear from the left when we talk about election integrity is, oh, there's absolutely no evidence of voter fraud. Right. And that's that's the word we shouldn't use. We shouldn't use fraud because it's a very, very tough standard. Basically, to get convicted in Minnesota of fraud, you have to say, hey, I knowingly, knowingly voted illegally. And you if you say, say any, you have to say that. Anything <laughs> other than that, you're not going to get convicted of, of voter fraud. So let's talk about ineligible voting. Okay. That's what we're really concerned because there's a lot of ways people can ineligible vote, but they're not committing voter fraud. And uh, and so here's here's um, what the current Secretary of State will do is all, and this is the law in Minnesota. Uh, all data in Minnesota is considered public, and it's, it's unless it's specifically spelled out, easy for me to say, in state statute that it's private. So he will give you all of the eligible legal voter data. You can get that. However, he will not release the challenged, ineligible, potential illegal voter data. In fact, Walter, it's worse than that. He says he has the discretion on who to give it to. So he can give it to his friends, mm-hmm. and he can choose not to give it, you know, to his opponents. Right. And the Minnesota Voters Alliance has sued in Ramsey County. They won on summary judgment. That's uh, the, the the judge said the Secretary of State's position is untenable. Right. And when you win on sudden summary judgment, that means that the law is so clear in this case Correct. that we don't need to go to trial. Yeah. So here's how disingenuous the current Secretary of State is. He says, well, 
He's defying the court order. He's not going to release the information. He's filed an appeal to take it past this election cycle. So we had in the 2016 election over 350,000 same-day registrations. Now, at the start of the 2016 election, we had 26,000 people on the challenged poll list. How you get on a challenged poll list is this way. You same-day register. The county you register in sends out a postcard. This is one of the ways. Sends out a postcard verification to the address you claim you live at, and that postcard comes back undeliverable. The other way you get on that is the Social Security number, the last four digits you gave, doesn't match up to the National Register Office. So we have 26,000 people on that list. And you can today you can self-verify yourself off that list and you'll never be challenged again. But that's the information that the, 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 the Minnesota Voters Alliance wants to get at, is that challenged information list, the ineligible voter data, so we can analyze the amount. We don't know how much voter... We know there's ineligible voting going on, but we don't know the level of it because we can't have access right. to the data. And if why not give the data out? It doesn't make sense why you wouldn't give that data out so people can analyze it. Well, it, it doesn't make sense in a rational and moral sense, but it does make sense in a purely partisan political sense if you're only concerned about electoral victory and you're not concerned right. about the integrity of the process. Well, the current secretary says, well, it's, you know, he takes credit for, well, he takes credit for a lot of things. He takes credit for us being number one this last year in, in or the last election cycle uh, in Minnesota for voter turnout. And I would say that has more to do with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump right. yeah. than anything, anything, you know, anything. And then the other thing he says, we have the best election system because we have the highest voter turnout. No, 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 that's not, you, you can't make that extrapolation. You could say, you know, because I want higher voter turnout, I just, you know, but I don't want 105% participation. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, I want, I want to encourage every eligible voter to vote, yeah. but the key word there at Walter is eligible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and in order, because of the value of the franchise, right. like you, you cannot argue that it's acceptable for a single ineligible voter's ballot to actually count, because well, if no, it does... No, no, wait. The current Secretary of State says he likes the criminal justice model, where you know we'd rather let a hundred guilty people go than convict an innocent man, right? Uh, right? But that doesn't work in the voter system, because when you allow an ineligible voter to vote, you have suppressed the vote of an eligible voter. Correct. It's the same. Right. Well, and and one of those outcomes is worse than the other. Like the the yeah. idea that that somebody who is ineligible is being disenfranchised, you can make whatever argument that they should be eligible, that they should be able to vote that you want, but the idea that in order to combat what you think is disenfranchisement, we ought to actually disenfranchise right. somebody who is eligible is pretty disingenuous. We'll continue our conversation with John Howe when we return. He's running for Secretary of State here in Minnesota. Hopefully you're beginning to understand why this is so important. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Talking with John Howe, candidate for Secretary of State, running as a Republican here in Minnesota. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio app. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can join us at 651-989-5855 with your questions or comments. Brad Omland takes those calls and produces the show. 
let's dive right right back into it with John Howe. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, one in 2016 and after Donald Trump shocked the world by defeating Hillary Clinton in such dramatic fashion, ever since then, it's been nonstop 24-7 drumbeat of how concerned we all need to be about Russian interference in our electoral process. Yeah, the little bit of the Trojan horse there. And so, you know, from from your perspective, vying for Secretary of State, which of course is the statewide constitutional office that is vested with responsibility of ensuring that we have safe, fair, honest elections, what's your overall take on the threat of Russian interference, Russian hacking, and making sure that we have a system that's protected in the way, in a way that gives us all confidence that our ballots are being uh, cast the right way. Well, the current Secretary of State actually testified at an election commission um, in the uh, state house here and said that there was absolutely no rushing hacking into our voter system. In fact, there was no attempt to hack into the Minnesota voter system. They thought maybe somebody had probed our system. So there was no no hacking whatsoever. But I'll tell you, the Help America Voting Act, and underneath of that act was the Election Assistant Commission, and they allocated $380 million of federal funds nationwide to help improve our voting machines, help improve election security, cybersecurity, and they actually allocated $6.5 million to Minnesota. Now, some states, the Secretary of State can just use that money. In our state, you have to actually have the legislature appropriate that money. So they did. They, they, uh, they, they, they appropriated a million and a half. The House passed it. The Senate passed it. But the governor vetoed it. Right. And so I know the current Secretary of State is going to blame them for not getting the job done. Right, but, which, is, which but, is just insane. But he's the person, the buck stops with him. Right, He didn't get the job done, mm-hmm. period. He failed. Not one dime of that $6.5 million has been used to increase cybersecurity in our state. So that's a fact. He didn't get the job done. Uh, I also believe that you know we're one of the few states that actually has, our, our National Guard actually has a cybersecurity division in Minnesota. Not all states do, we do. And I believe we should utilize that, not just on the election system or the Secretary of State's platform, but across all of our State Department platforms to improve cybersecurity because it is going to be something in the future. That's one of the reasons, you know, people ask you, you ever consider about going to online voting? I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can go to online or electronic balloting uh, with the way it is today. And I think there'll be some more information coming out on how some of these systems can be hacked. And that's why we need to have a paper ballot and we need to be able to back up and look at our systems. Uh, But do we need to improve it? Yes. Should we be looking at it? Yes. Is it important? Yes. But you have to get the job done. At the end of the day, you have to get the job done. And you know that when I point to the partisanship of 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 these constitutional offices, it's like when President Trump requested some information. 
The current Secretary of State says, I'm just not going to give you any. Well, he certainly could have said, here's the information that I'm going to provide to you that legally I can provide to you. And this information over here we think is too private. We can't provide it. But instead, he just says, I didn't didn't give it at all. Um, and again, you know, it, it's like uh, it's it's like saying, you know, protected us from Russian interference. Well, there was no Russian interference. Yeah, right. So what did you protect yeah. us from? Right. Well, again, I think you're. Your analogy of the rooster taking credit for the rising of the sun kind of yeah. uh, f- comes into play in terms of th- this coincidental thing that takes place. And, oh, look what I did. Right. right. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So, you know, the other big development, we touched on it briefly earlier in the program, is we have a presidential primary. Yes. Now, now this is going to take effect in 2020. Is that correct? correct? Right. And so, you know, if you participated in the caucus program, uh, the caucus in the 2016 election, you probably had to park 15 or 20 blocks away from the school that you went to to participate because it was such a high, high turnout. And so they decided, well, let's do a presidential primary, but very few people know the rules under which this is going to happen. And the rule that this is going to happen is that you're going to come in and you're going to have to take, you're going to have to give an oath to the election official and say, I am going to support this party's nominee. That's a silly oath. It's unenforceable, but you're going to be either given in a Democratic ballot or a Republican ballot. And not who, Walter, who you vote for isn't going to be public data, but how you voted. Whether you voted Republican or Democrat will now be public information. How do you feel about that? Well, it's a de facto party registration system whereby it's going to be public information which party you support and belong to. And not everybody's like me, not everybody's like you, not everybody wants that information to be known. Absolutely. I think it shatters the bedrock of our secret ballot here in Minnesota. And the current Secretary of State is all excited about this. Said, oh, we're going to have 640,000 people participate in the presidential primary. Well, we certainly can have that many people participate, but it shouldn't be at the expense of exposing who you support, what party you support, because that information will be used um, you know, with parties to... Uh, for donation purposes, for all sorts of purposes. Can you imagine if you're a conservative and you work at Google, and now the CEO is going to be able yeah, to find right. out, you know, it it and or vice versa. Sure. And and so it, it's wrong. And if you want to change it, I hope you'll support my campaign because we have time to change it. The other thing, Walter, you know, we all the Republicans always get, you know, pointed at voter suppression. Well, here's some actual voter suppression under this law. Under the current caucus system, if you want to participate and you're going to be 18 by November, you can participate as a 17-year-old in the presidential straw poll, and you can actually become a delegate and go to the caucus. Under the new rules, unless you're 18 by March 3rd, you don't get the vote in the presidential primary. You still get the vote in the general election, but maybe your selection won't be there because you didn't vote. So that's actual. That wipes out a lot of people. Sure. Uh, And so there's a lot of things we can do to improve our system we need to we need change uh and it's not healthy for one party to control an office so long we're talking with john howe candidate for secretary of state running as a republican here in minnesota you can find out more about his campaign at howforsos.com that's h-o-w-e-f-o-r-s-o-s.com we'll take your calls your questions for john howe when we return 651-989-5855. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
Wrapping things up with John Howe, candidate for Secretary of State, running as a Republican here in Minnesota. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Taking your calls and questions, 651-989-5855. Let's go to Ann in Minneapolis. Thanks for holding. Hi, Walter. Hi, Walter and Mr. Howe. And I... I'm calling with a question about same-day registration, but I do want to comment on the caucus system because I have reached the age of 70-plus now, and I have only missed one precinct caucus since 1974. So Thank I'm you, Ann. That's fantastic. And I heard you speak, John Howe, at the convention in Rochester. Was it 2014, I believe? Yes, it was. And I knew then I would support you for anything you ever ran for. <laughs> so you, I, I like you, Ann. Pray that you will win this one because it is so critical if people yes. only knew. But I, the older I get, the more I appreciate the caucus system. And people complain about it a lot and how it's so much trouble and you give up so much of your time. Listen, this is the one <clears throat> chance for the grassroots to really get out and be heard. And I, I am really worried about the concerns you expressed about the primary, very much so. But what I really originally was calling about was, do you think there is a remote chance that we will get away from the insanity, and I mean underline that three times, of same-day voter registration? This is what one of my Republican friends called the golden egg for the Democrats, and they have used it, I feel, in most just unethical ways. And having been an election judge and having worked through same-day voter registrations, I just think it is a travesty, and I think it is harming our country and our state. And I remember, I believe I had to be 21 when I registered to vote and come down with either my driver license or my Social Security card. I think at that time I didn't have a driver license yet, so I recall bringing my Social Security card. And I had to fill out a pretty comprehensive I think all they asked me that they didn't ask me was my religion. You know, I yeah. mean, it was a very serious process, and it was taken much more seriously. And now it's just like get everyone that you can right. get to vote, and especially the younger and more um, people that have been propagandized by the liberal media, by liberal colleges, by, you know, and plus as many um illegals as we can get appreciate it and yeah that they're they're about ready to hand out ballots and happy mails appreciate yeah. the call oh, appreciate yeah. the question. Well, I well think it's just horrible i you, think it's just destroying our country if it, if this isn't corrected soon thank you and much, thanks so much for that question and you know she just made me reminded me of what, what uh, i think the saint paul city council just said that now if you are a landlord you're going to have to give voter registration material to your tenants and if you don't you'll be violating an ordinance that has nothing to do with it. It's just that uh, again, it's gone off the rails. It's government, um, just way too much regulation. But and you know, to answer Ann's question on um, on same day registration, I don't I don't see that going away. You know, the 2016 election, we had three, over 350,000 same day registration. But Walter, let me tell you how we can address some of this issue when. When that postcard comes back after that same-day registration and that person ends up over here on that challenge list or that last four digits doesn't match up to the Social Security list, those 26,000 people that are sitting over here on the challenge list, mm -hmm. Walter, the next time they show up to vote and they don't have an ID or they don't have proper identification, we need to say, uh, you know, we 
it's in a postcard and apparently it came back undeliverable or whatever the verification process that didn't they didn't pass we need to say we need to see proper identification and if they don't have it they should be given a provisional ballot that ballot goes over here doesn't get counted they've got seven days to come into the county auditor's office and prove who they are and make their ballot count that's 47 uh, walter 47 other states have provisional balloting sure and we're just saying let's use it if you end up on that challenge list. Right. Yeah, I mean, nowhere in there are you being denied the right to vote. No. Provided that you're eligible, provided that you're above board, your vote will count. It's just a question of being able to do it. And, you know, for people who are concerned about uh, voter photo ID when that was in consideration in 2012, you know, this seems to me to be a nice, happy compromise in terms of, all right, let's just look at the people who are red flag. Right, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's talk to Mike in Farmington. Welcome to the program. Thanks for holding. Thank you for taking my call, Walter. Uh, good evening, Mr. Howell. Good evening, Mike. Um, I, I'm just going to kind of give some just quick context and then ask a question. But I remember growing up and speaking with my grandfather about things that went on. And one of the things he talked about was the Kennedy election and how some of these votes just mysteriously appeared and and some of these these shenanigans have gone on and on. And we, you know, I think you recently mentioned the the Al Franken and uh, how they found these votes. And I'm just, you know, and now we even have cities and politicians advocating to have illegal aliens be able to vote. I may have heard that as well. Yeah, that that's uh, in sanctuary cities. Uh, they're they're talking about letting. Uh Illegal aliens, you know, because they need to have a right to uh, their local governorship to vote in a sanctuary city. It, it, it is has it has went off the rails, is what's happened. And, and if that isn't a transparent uh, statement of where they really are going with all the in, trying to import our voter base, but how? Why is it taking so long, or why is it that there's so much resistance to do things the right way? Because this is a representative republic, and, and you had said earlier, if, if you have the, the votes being diluted by people that shouldn't even be voted, you know, your voice isn't really being, the integrity isn't there anymore in the process. And, and I don't know that I've ever heard Republicans resisting this, like real IDs and these things to establish voter integrity. Who are the culprits here, and what is the best measure to take against these people? And I'll hang up and listen to your response. I appreciate the call, Mike. You've got exactly 30 seconds to answer that extremely complicated well, question. Well, uh, Walt, that's not much time, but Mike, uh, you're absolutely right. We, you know, let's just, we need to improve our integrity in our systems. We need to have open and honest elections, and we need to have transparency. We need to get the information out there about the ineligible voting. Uh, we can improve the system. We can make it better. Uh, but it it, it requires uh, some dedication, and you need to lean in and put your shoulder into it, and that's what I'll do as Secretary of State. John Howe, candidate for Secretary of State, running as a Republican this year, this midterm election here in Minnesota. You can learn more about his campaign at HowForSOS.com. That's H-O-W-E. Like our Facebook page. F-O-R-S-O-S.com. Like the Facebook How for page. SOS. Or you can just go to SOS Howe. Walter, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks. And remember that yellow flashing arrow. It's not who, <laughs> it's how, all right? All right. The yellow flashing arrow guy. We'll come back to talk about Trump supposedly mocking Christine Ford and other news in the Kavanaugh situation. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
now the focus is back on President Donald Trump because he stepped into the fray at one of his rallies. I believe it was in Mississippi or Missouri, one of those M states, one of those southern M states. He had a rally recently where he supposedly mocked. That's the word that the journalists, that's the word that the reporters reporting the news chose to use, mocked Christine Ford by describing rather accurately her testimony to an assembled crowd at one of his rallies. Was it really mockery? And we're going to consider here on Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming at com, and on your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. 651-989-5855 is the number to give us your take. Brad Omland takes those calls and produces the show. So I guess we got to start with the the clip itself of what took place here at, at that rally. I believe it was Mississippi with President Donald Trump. Right? I had one beer. Well, you think it was... Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How did you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. And a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. His wife is shattered. His daughters, who are beautiful, incredible young kids, they destroy people. They want to destroy people. These are really evil people. And then you see... And then you see the people that are doing it. I know everyone. I could tell you things about every one of them. I think a large part of the reason, and you guys know this, I'm preaching to the choir here, a large part of the reason why Donald Trump has such a fervent following and such devoted, uh, well, I mean, you could use the word fans, right? I mean, this is this is part show business, what he's engaged in here. His supporters, his fans, if you will, are loyal because he's willing to frame things in these types of terms. You know, I've, I've spent... The time since Thursday's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing wherein Brett Kavanaugh changed the course of history. Now, I don't know. I don't know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. I don't know if he's going to get confirmed. I don't know what direction we're pivoting here, but we are pivoting in a direction. And Brett Kavanaugh is obviously a central and motivating figure in that pivot. And he changed the course of the day on Thursday by employing a leadership style not unlike that of President Donald Trump. And it's the it's the willingness to, and this is the irony of it, the willingness to engage the left in precisely the way that they are constantly engaging us. They are constantly engaging us with mockery and ridicule and shaming and moral condemnation. They call us evil. They call us deplorable. They call us despicable. They dismiss us. They call us stupid. They call us rubes. I mean, there's no end to the demeaning and the mockery that they aim at us. And then we're expected to be civil and calm and professional and cool and collected and presidential. And, you know, I say this and, you know, I think we'll probably spend some time tomorrow talking about 
me putting on the MAGA hat because we really haven't we really haven't addressed that yet. It happened yesterday on the show, I, and I really haven't gotten into like fully exploring how that even happened, why that's even a thing, why I'm wearing the MAGA hat now. But part of the reason is is that the, the context is has shifted in such a way that I now I get what many of you have been trying to tell me these past two years that we're at a point where the the civility that I want to see in the discourse, the decorum that I want to see in the discourse, is and that you know folks like Jeff Flake want to see, is not possible in this moment. They have upended the rules, and it's analogous to being in the middle of World War II with bombs dropping all around you and tanks rolling through buildings and complaining about how the trains aren't running on time or how the postage isn't getting delivered well and why can't we just have a nice dinner on Sunday evening. It's because you're at war. It's because you're under attack. That's why. So defeat the enemy, expel the evil, and then we can rebuild civilization the way it's supposed to work. And it's it's that fervor. It's that that ability, that that willingness to turn the tables back around on the left and to condemn them in the terms they condemn us. And let me add this. It's not just about playing tit for tat, right? You know, the phrase fight fire with fire has been used in this regard. It's not just about doing to them what they do to us because they did it. And I think that's where a lot of Trump's support a lot of the the MAGA movement, if you want to refer to it that way, has erred, is in just just trolling the left for the sake of trolling the left, or getting one over on the on the libs, owning the libs, so to speak, just for the pleasure, the cathartic release of owning the libs. That's not the point. The point is the left is treating us the way we should treat them because they actually are evil. They actually are standing against things that are sacred. They actually are deplorable. They actually are despicable. And they're demonstrating that in the way that they're engaging with Brett Kavanaugh. And so, you know, that's the context in which we ought to analyze what Donald Trump said at this rally. But then let's look at the specifics of what he said. What is it that he's saying? He's saying in in a colorful way, he's saying, what are we supposed to take in terms of credibility and corroboration from the testimony we got from Christine Ford on Thursday? What we got was, yep, I'm 100% certain that Brett Kavanaugh did something terrible to me at some point roughly three, four decades ago. I'm 100% certain that he's responsible for something bad. But beyond that, I don't know. And and just as Trump said it, you know, where was the house? I don't know. Who was there? I don't know. Uh, how do you know how who was drinking what? I don't know. How'd you get home? I don't know. Exactly the way Trump said it. That's the truth. That is a recap, a paraphrase of exactly what she said. So where's the foul here? You have to explain it to me. Where's the foul here in terms of? going crossing some sort of line of propriety in addressing this testimony. And again, this is all happening in a context where Brett Kavanaugh himself is being mocked openly. CNN reports on SNL, which I I can't tell you the last time I sat down and watched Saturday Night Live. It hasn't been funny in years. Saturday Night Live had a skit where Matt Damon played Brett Kavanaugh and you know they're mocking him, making fun of him during the Brett Kavanaugh's testimony last Thursday. 
Leftists on Twitter were mocking him for getting emotional and, and for, for shedding a tear when he talked about his family being destroyed. Because, you know, what kind of a man actually cares about his family, right? Apparently, that's something you're supposed to be ashamed of. Caring about your family. Caring about the fact that your marriage is being, being drugged through the mud publicly by your political opponents for no reason whatsoever under the presumption of innocence, right? Like, apparently, you're just supposed to take that in stride. That's the expectation. So there's a complete double standard in terms of how we're supposed to treat Brett Kavanaugh versus how we're supposed to treat Christine Ford. And again, there's no justification for it other than the partisan alignments. And on top of all of that, on top of all of that, Trump is making this decision, and I, you know, I can't get inside his head. I don't think anybody can. But I sense that he's making this decision to step out from behind the curtain and to enter the fray, to enter battle on this front, to go after Christine Ford in the context where it is increasingly being revealed just how incredible her testimony actually was. In the moment, in the moment as she delivered it on Thursday, it seemed credible. It seemed credible in, in, in terms of her delivery, her presentation. And the the statements themselves to the point where even Brett Kavanaugh himself and folks like my folks like me and others were saying, you know, Ben Shapiro, go down the list. People were saying, I believe that something like this did happen to Christine Ford. I believe that she is describing an incident that did occur to her. I just don't believe that it's Brett Kavanaugh or, or I, I have not been presented with compelling evidence that it was Brett Kavanaugh who did this to her. Well, now, even that is falling apart. From Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire, he writes, I was among those who tried to be gentle with Christine Ford in the early going, though I never took her story at face value. I thought perhaps she was mistaken or misremembering. I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt, even as the inconsistencies piled up. Like many supporters of Brett Kavanaugh and Kavanaugh himself, I theorized that something bad may have happened to her, but she accidentally misconstrued the events in her mind or subconsciously infused Kavanaugh into her memory of the event. Now, I think it's time to stop being so gentle. It is just not possible to avoid the plain reality anymore. Christine Ford is a liar. She may still have been victimized in some form at some point in the past, but it is no longer possible for a rational person to conclude that this is all an innocent case of mistaken identity. Someone is a liar here, and it seems very clear that the liar is Ford. There's a reason why sex crimes prosecutor Rachel Mitchell doesn't find Ford's story credible. There are too many gaps, and the gaps are too suspicious. It's not just that Ford can't remember, it's that she specifically can't remember any of the details that might prove or disprove her claim. She also can't remember the things she did and said even in the last few months. If her memory really is that terrible, she knows her memory is that terrible, and she knows that she therefore cannot be 100% certain that Kavanaugh was the assailant. At a minimum, her claims of certainty are a lie, but it's more than that. Ford has Ford's story has changed to get around Kavanaugh's defenses. These aren't random changes in the narrative. These are targeted and calculated changes. If we are going to absolve her of dishonesty at this point, we must believe that her memory lapses are just coincidentally convenient and that her gaps in her story are coincidentally convenient and the changes in the story are coincidentally convenient. The coincidences are simply too convenient and too numerous to be truly coincidental. And this reminds me of something that happened on Thursday repeatedly during the hearings that I haven't heard anybody talk about. 
I haven't heard anybody talk about this, and it's actually kind of shocking to me that nobody has. You may recall a number of times on Thursday during Christine Ford's testimony, she said something to the effect of, I need to know, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy, the, was it Mark Judge is the, the other guy? I need to know when Mark Judge worked at you know whatever grocery store it was. Because she had this this claim that she had run into Mark Judge at a grocery store while he was working there, and that uh, he had acted, he had behaved in such a way as to indicate that he was, had some shame or was uncomfortable around her. And when asked when that happened, she said, "Well, that's why we need to have an investigation so that I can know when he worked there." In other words, what she's saying is, when you tell me what when I'm supposed to say I saw him. I'll be able to tell you when I saw him. Somebody tell me how that works. How in God's name does that work? How can you possibly, and nobody picked up on this. She said this multiple times on Thursday. How in God's name could you, could you say, like, what judge, what jury, what court, what lawyer misses this detail? That your witness is telling you that they don't remember when something happened, but if you give them a range where where it was supposed to have happened, they'll suddenly be able to remember when it actually did. That is a question that a liar asks. That is a condition that a liar needs. It sounds like something that the cops would like tell you to say to force confession out of you. That's exactly oh, right. Oh yeah, you were at the grocery store last night, weren't you? That's exactly right. And 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 again, I don't it's stunning to me that to my knowledge and granted, you know, my I'm not listening to everybody, I'm not watching everybody, but to my knowledge, I'm the only person who's pointing this out. And it's it's one of the biggest holes in her testimony. We'll talk to Carl in Roseville when we return. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, Twin Cities Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, 651-989-5855. Let's talk to Carl in Roseville. Welcome for, to the program, and thanks for holding. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call, Walter. Yep. Um, earlier, just a few minutes ago, you were talking about the battle that we're in, and last night you were you also made a, a reference to the Civil War that uh, that we're in right now, and I'm curious about how you think that 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 fight is going to happen. And here's kind of uh, my concern is that <clears throat> when I look at the Democrats, I think that they have waited years and years, and they've gotten they've gotten Democrats into the school system, into mm-hmm. the colleges, mm-hmm. and into the press. And I think that's how they're fighting this war. Correct. And I worry that we can do the same thing. I don't. I don't think we can because it's pretty. If they come to power, it's pretty tough to get out from underneath the power of a tyrant. And they're just not going to let anybody who thinks differently. Um, they're not going to let them <laughs> exist. So my. My short answer is a lesser country would already be doomed, but we're the United States of America, and we have we have a heritage, we have in our bones, we have pumping through our veins 
a heritage of freedom and liberty that still drives our day-to-day activity. You know, most people are not, but we had an article in the stack here somewhere in the past few days that talked about how uh, the the folks who are the loudest, the folks who you see, the talking heads on Fox News and MSNBC and even here on Twin Cities News Talk, are not indicative of the average person that most people just kind of go about their days and are, are not particularly concerned about the politics and, and are turned off by the, the rancor and what have you. All of that is true. However, there, everybody has a philosophy, whether they're aware of it or not. And you can see, if, as an observer of humanity and as an observer of Americans in particular, that there is still, you know, I have a job where I go around every day my job involves interfacing, interacting with businesses all over the metro, different businesses, day to day, all the time. And so I see a, a cross section of people who are busy getting after it. People who are, who are trying to build something for themselves, trying to provide for their families, getting up in the morning, you know, putting in the elbow grease. And they come from a variety, they come from across the political spectrum. They, they understand what it is that they're doing. They're, they, they chose to engage in that endeavor. And so what our task is to connect that fundamental work ethic, that American spirit, that, that desire to get after it and to own something and to build something, to connect the fact that the Democrats and the left are opposed to that. They're opposed to you. Even if you are voting for them, they are still opposed to you. They're opposed to what makes you possible, to what makes your prosperity possible, to what's going to make your children's prosperity possible. And we can do that. You know, you talk about the fact that they've infiltrated all the institutions. That's absolutely true. But they, but think about how they've had to go about it. They've had to spend over a hundred years creepily and stealthily and in a highly coordinated fashion incrementally inching their way into all of these institutions. Why? Because of the aforementioned culture that I just articulated. Because if they were truthful, if they take off their masks, if they reveal themselves for who they are, then everybody recoils in horror and, you know, shouts them off the stage. We have the power, the the advantage that we have, even starting from behind, even starting as underdogs, the advantage that we have is that we are on the side of truth. And truth has a power. It has what I regard to be a divine power. You know, light has the power to cast darkness aside in an instant. It requires no warm-up. It requires no no preparation. And, you know, the fact that we're on the side of right, the fact that we're on the side of truth, gives us an advantage that they do not have and never will have. So that's why I'm confident that we can win the war. I appreciate your call, Carl. Let's talk to Jeff in Apple Valley. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, um... I just started to listen when you talked about uh, uh, Dr. Ford asking for recollection on when Mark Judge worked at the uh, Safeway. And I have tweeted about that. I couldn't believe it. Um, but I have to be honest with you. I think it's just from watching a bunch of law shows my whole life. And I, and I know that you would never give the evidence to someone uh, to say, well, this is this will bolster my story. It's right. really up to them to say the story. And the fact that no one jumped on that. I don't know if that was a, a, a factor of they had the, the sex crimes prosecutor in there and then the Republicans weren't even paying attention. I don't know why that just didn't go challenged. And Wait, nobody, like, 
none of the none of the pundits on Fox News have talked about it, to uh, my knowledge. No, I, know, I know, and but the other part of it is, I notice is that, um, and I, I I don't know if I have every point correct, but and and this is not to knock her. It, it could be that the advice she's gotten because her story is the way it is, but everything that she cannot remember uh-huh. would be demonstrably proven one way or the other if she even picked one of them. So if she said the house was on one, two, three Main Street, right? That you could check that. That's right. It's kind of odd that there's not one thing that she remembers that can be actually checked. Well, and the thing is, is some of the so things she you know, some of the things she did sense. testify to, some of the things she did testify to have been checked and found to be false. For instance, so you know, she told this story about how she, you know, had to have she, the, the way that this came to light after so many years in counseling. The reason they went to couples therapy is because she was insisting upon having a second front door installed in their house, and she says that the reason why they she wanted to have a second front door was because she's so terrified and 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 traumatized by this experience that she allegedly had with Brett Kavanaugh three four decades ago. Well, it turns out you can actually look into that. You can actually go and look at records of development, and somebody did. And what they found was that, in point of fact, the reason why a second door was installed in the front of their house is because they were renting out a unit. Right. They were renting out a unit. Now, that is a lie, right? Like, that's perjury right there. Right. Well, but I'm even talking about, like, it's just convenient that every, every... So now even the people that say, well, they don't remember the event or they weren't there is being used by the left as... Well, that doesn't mean she's lying, and that's my point. She didn't pick one thing, you know. When I say well, pick, sure, I see what you're saying. There's not one accident. She doesn't have one memory right. that yes. literally could be checked that had nothing to do with a, another person. She has a. She has. She, yeah, she has a crafted narrative that's designed to be bulletproof in terms right. of the scrutiny, and, I, and that only comes from a lawyer. That's so absolutely that's, right. There's, there's no way that comes from. Even a dishonest person isn't that good. Um, the other thing is, I think it's ironic, and no one's really discussing this, is so if you look at what is known as the never-Trumpers, and most never-Trumpers are really Republicans. Yeah. And then you look at the fact, and this is where I think Trump doesn't he doesn't get enough credit for being even-handed, or, or he's a, in some way he's a genius even more than you think. So he picks Kavanaugh, who works for Bush. Well, obviously, no one that's associated with Bush in any form supports Trump. But what does he do? He picks, he could have picked the woman yeah. and avoided all this. Right. Well, but maybe. He picked Kavanaugh <laughs> and either he picked Kavanaugh because he wanted to have, he wanted to look like, you're, hey, you're, you're, you're seeing this as a, Trump a, is going to push you through because it's Bush's guy. Now something, so now they've even, even the swamp, isn't the swamp anymore the way it was because even the bushes aren't powerful enough to get certain things done i appreciate your point jeff we do got to go to a break we're running late but i i get the point that jeff's trying to make there is that there's kind of like a 3d chess move that trump made in terms of potentially uniting the entire right by selecting somebody who was part of the quote establishment knowing that the the democrats were going to go after him no matter what Maybe that was true, maybe not. I don't know. Closing argument, 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Streaming 
TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com, your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. Check out our Facebook page. Search for Closing Argument with Walter Hudson in the Facebook search engine. Our page will pop up. Like it. Set yourself to be notified when we post things. And uh, you'll be three-quarters of the way to enhancing your entire life. It's such an added value. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Online taking those calls and producing the show. Let's talk to Tom in Andover. Welcome to the program. Hey, Walter. Hey. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Uh, I'm going to start by one thing as far as uh, Ford's testimony. Um, when I was a junior in college, I was able to spend a year abroad. I was mugged on a train between Bern, Switzerland, and Rome, uh, took my camera, took my wallet, switchblade, cut my back pants. Um, I can remember every single detail, even this day, of what he looked like. That was 40 years ago. That was 1978. Uh, comment number two, uh, since, uh, as far as a small business owner, like you're saying, uh, I'm too busy making a living to pay attention to what's right. going on, and right. I, I think that's what most people are are, are doing as as far as uh, trying to fight the insidiousness that the uh, Democrats are trying to do. Uh, most important, I, uh, listening to the podcast before of Justice and Drew, the uh, uh, it's uh, it stirred Klobuchar, Miss uh, Center, do nothing, stirred a memory. I think she should recuse herself, considering that many people may not remember, but she filed a sexual harassment suit against Norm Green, former owner of the North Stars, when she was here. So she, having been a supposed victim, I'm not near a computer, I can't research it, Mm -hmm. but um, that's something I've emailed Rush Limbaugh to look into that, but that's something that should be brought up to where uh, she's making accusations and uh, she was in herself. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's you got a you got a case there in terms of is she being motivated by something other than the objective consideration of his qualifications? Uh, of course, you know, if we're if we're honest about it, none of the Democrats are being motivated by that. It's it's all being motivated by partisan political utility. But yeah, I mean, certainly if the roles were reversed, uh, if there was a Republican senator who had been accused, falsely accused, and had been exonerated, I could see the Democrats making the case that he should recuse himself uh, on account of being biased in the situation. And it plays right into the Keith Ellingson thing to where. Um, if it's, you know, it, it's no problem if the Democrats accused, but all of a sudden it is broken. Uh, Walter, I appreciate it. I'll hang up and listen to now on. All right. I appreciate the call. Appreciate you joining the program this evening. From the Daily Wire, Democratic Senator Cory Booker admitted in a press conference on Tuesday that his belief that Brett Kavanaugh should not be confirmed to the Supreme Court has nothing to do with whether he is innocent or guilty. And that was the quote innocent or guilty the very fact that his name has been sullied by uncorroborated allegations and that he displayed anger at being accused without evidence and pushed back against the politically motivated handling of the allegations by democratic senators booker argued ultimately disqualifies kavanaugh from a lifetime appointment to the sacred institution with the fbi investigation close to wrapping up and most expecting that it will confirm what has already been publicly revealed in sworn statements to the senate 
uh, that the named witnesses by Ford all either deny any knowledge of the alleged incident or directly refute it. The New Jersey senator said that in the end, it doesn't matter if Kavanaugh is innocent or guilty, just that his, quote, credibility has been challenged, unquote, enough by supposed intimates of Kavanaugh from high school, despite the dozens of Kavanaugh's female friends from that period who have publicly vouched for his good character. The other disqualifier, according to Booker, is that in the highly emotional and politicized hearing, Kavanaugh displayed a temperament and used language that shocked Democrats. So this is where we're at. And you could tell because we had the tweet from Dianne Feinstein yesterday where she was like, yeah, I don't think this uh, FBI investigation should be made public. Like they are signaling in terms of how they're already pivoting that this ain't going anywhere. Once again, we find ourselves just running out of time. So many things I wanted to get to tonight. We'll be able to roll some of it over to tomorrow. I want to kick things off tomorrow night at 9 o'clock when we come on. Just kind of digging a little bit deeper into how I've gone from never Trump in 2016 to procuring a Make America Great Again hat yesterday and putting it on for our Facebook live stream there, there's more to it than has been said, and I want to get into the implications of it, what has changed and what has not, and uh, how I sort it all out in my own head. Because apparently there are folks who are interested in that. I, I couldn't believe how uh, prolific and voracious the reaction was on social media. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130-1035 FM. 651-989-5855 if you want to shoehorn in a comment before the end of the show tonight. Let's talk to Mike in Farmington. Welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call, Walter. There was uh, an exchange tonight. I happened to catch a little bit of Laura Ingram's show, and she had um, Jonathan Turley was on. But they also referred to a letter that uh, I believe Chairman uh, Chuck, well, Chuck Grassley on the Judiciary Committee had requested that Blasey Ford release those therapist notes, right. evidence, and, right. and her lawyers would not release that at all. Right. And then you, which why wouldn't you? Why if if it's an ac- if the accusation is true, and your story is so credible, which is all we've heard from the left, why would you not want to turn over corroborating evidence? There's, there's no rational, logical reason to deny that request at well, this I point. Agree entirely. But there's there's no foothold. There's no evidence. And then I even heard uh, Ann Coulter, had, she, she monitors CNN and MSNBC. She said as soon as that FBI, FBI report came out, that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, no, there's nothing new here. It's all of a sudden she said that MSNBC and CNN, their coverage started shifting back to Russia. Investigation, <laughs> but, but you know, you had mentioned in your the previous segment about Cory Booker's uh, belief or his position is that well, if there's just enough allegations out there now, that should be enough that you're not uh, qualified. And Jonathan Turley's comment was on that. You know, it would have been interesting if. Kavanaugh or someone had addressed that in the respect of would you want a Supreme Court justice to operate in the same manner? Right. That right. If there's just enough allegations, that's enough. I mean, it's 
the levels of craziness and stupidity that is being being reached is just unfathomable. I just, I, 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 day by day, they seem to top their levels of uh, idiocy. You know, one of the words that I've used in recent days and weeks to describe it is that the Democratic Party and the left, more broadly, seems to be gaslighting the right. Or, it's not, I don't even think it's accurate to say the right. They seem to be gaslighting America. Because I would throw mainstream middle of the road independent americans into this as well they they are trying by and the real contrast particularly for us here in minnesota is the contrast between ellison keith ellison and that the way they're handling his allegations where their lawyer is coming out and saying literally the opposite thing that cory booker just said cory booker says well if an allegation is there that should be enough to disqualify you for the supreme court the lawyer for the DFL literally said the opposite a couple of days ago as it relates to Keith Ellison. Well, an allegation onto itself isn't enough to verify conduct occurred. Well, which is it? And it's it's almost as if it's a coordinated effort to drive their opponents insane. Like they're actually trying to drive us crazy by doing this. And I think there is a part of that where where the the we've we've talked about over the years, Glenn Beck has talked about over the years the the kind of uh, Cloward and Piven strategy of of sowing chaos in the culture and what have you. I think there's a psyop side to that plan in terms of you know throwing enough noise into the system to to frustrate rational people so that they throw up their arms and just walk away. And we've let me we've, ask a final question. Yeah, is I mean to me. I don't know that the, the method that they're using is going to work anymore, and it almost seems like this has become a psychological disorder where they've almost whipped themselves up into this frenzy that, you know, we deserve power and these are the means. They're not basing it on any kind of uh, moral compass or standard. It's basically anything goes, and they're, they're almost wrapped up in their own psychosis of some kind. I mean, they definitely are, you know, there's, there's two categories of it. There's the, the intentional, the outward deception where they're trying to, they're plotting amongst themselves to frame things in such a way as to deceive the outside. But there's also an internal deception that takes place. You know, they're, they're able to convince themselves of the credibility of their own lies and then to, to operate inside their own mind as if their lies are true, even though they know they are lies. It, there's a, uh, there's some psychological term for that. Doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, quite come off the, the tip of my tongue, but yes, we, we are dealing with very sick people, people who are sick in a variety and uh, multifaceted ways. I appreciate your call as always, Mike. You know, one of the things that I've been, been uh, taking a look at, and I've mentioned it a couple of times now, is body language analysis of not just Christine Ford, but also Diane Feinstein. And one of the things that the body language experts will tell you is that when somebody has, when somebody is recalling something from memory, you know, they'll, 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 their eye movements will go in a certain way and they'll, they'll look up and they'll, they'll have a certain posture and what have you. Whereas when they're trying to recall something that they have practiced or something that they have created, they'll look down, they'll look to their notes, they'll look 
up to their lawyers who they've consulted with and what have you in order to confirm what they're supposed to say. And a lot of that was going on, not just with Christine Ford, but with Diane Feinstein as well. And all of this is subconscious. It's something that you can't really prevent yourself from signaling. It's a tell. And whether we are schooled in body language or not individually, we all kind of, we have the art antennas. We each have, to varying degrees, the ability to pick up on these things and to to perceive at some level that we're being lied to, that we're encountering something that's a story that's been invented, that's been concocted, and it shapes the way that we process the information. And that's reflected, apparently, in recent polling from NPR. Just over a month away from critical elections across the country, the wide Democratic enthusiasm advantage that has defined the 2018 campaign up to this point has disappeared, according to a new NPR PBS NewsHour Mars poll. In July, there was a 10-point gap between the number of Democrats and Republicans saying that November elections were very important. Now, that is down to two points, a statistical tie. Democrats advantage on which party's candidates are uh, more likely to support has also been cut in half since last month. Democrats still retain a six point edge on that question, but it was 12 points after a Myers poll conducted in mid September. The results come amid the pitched and hotly partisan confirmation battle over Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme court. Multiple women have accused Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct when he was in high school and college he categorically denies all the allegations, and then they go into rehashing what we already know. But the the headline here, and the important thing to recognize, is that the polling, the enthusiasm, the gap is narrowing, and there is a real chance at this point. The Democrats very well may have shot themselves in the foot. And I, I believe it's it's highly likely that they have because of that culture that I spoke of earlier. You know, when we had the caller who talked about, you know, how do we win this war? How do we declare victory, obtain victory in this war with the left? And the answer in part is by appealing to the culture that remains dominant in this country, a culture that values the presumption of innocence, that values liberty, that values justice, and that is not ready to let our well worn and well-crafted institutions fade away into the darkness. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. 